Test, test, one, two, microphone, microphone, one, two, three, four, microphone on, yep, we're good to go, one, two, three, four, okay, we'll be a bit hotter than that, oh yeah, there we go, better, let me see, hey everybody, <clears throat> boom, there, we're on, Hey everybody, welcome to Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit, the podcast. Uh, this is Saturday the 3rd of September. And uh, yeah, so how are you doing? You well? I am, I'm good. Um, I was away in Donegal for a few days and I've come back feeling inspired and rested. I, I, I wrote a kind of a new tune and stuff while I was there, sitting on a wee cliff. And there was a curlew bombing around the beach doing that, the, the bay that we, we, we kind of rent our place in. That, that screech, that squeal that it has, it's haunting, it's lovely, absolutely lovely. We go, we go to this magical place up in, um, it's near Mallon Head, the very tippy top of, the, of Ireland there, and it's just fantastic, we love it. Sort of wake up in the morning daydreaming about winning the lottery and buying it and that sort of thing. As I said, uh, you need, I need to start buying lottery tickets for that to happen. So yeah, so there we go. Uh, so that's today. Decided I should come out. You know what I just realised as well? I did another, I did a podcast the other day, just b- before I left, and I forgot to upload it. The video's uploaded, my patrons have it, uh, it's on YouTube, but I forgot to upload it as an audio file. And at the end of the day, I discuss, uh, I got Twitter banned. I got banned from uh, Twitter. I think it might have been the bot thing. Tony G told me that it might be, it's just a bot has sort of picked up on certain words. Uh, I was I was ripping Tories. I, I said, I wonder do I have the little, no, I don't have it. Um, I could show you. Uh, um, it, it, I said the Tories should be in a particular video that I showed on the on the podcast. Tories should be blasted into the, putting a rocket and blasted into the sun. Uh, shot into the sun, and I think it just sort of lost her, the, the the bot lost a run of itself there. So yeah, and I literally haven't had time to 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 do that. So you put in an appeal, and then you wait, and I've been waiting, and nothing has happened. And I don't think I'm going to get my appeal even. I, I think I'm too small for even an appeal to be appealed to a a living human being. I think it just goes through the the, the bot algorithm filters and. Uh, Consequently, uh, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> so I've no Twitter account. So that, which is real, it's kind of weird. You realise, you know, even with my little small operation, I realise how important these having access to these points of contact with you guys are. And uh, I haven't been able to promote my stuff or, or or do. I mean, the only reason I'm on social media at all is to promote socialism and leftism in a united Ireland. That's my uh, raison d'etre. And if those ever arrive, I will shut them all down immediately, if not sooner. Um, so not having access to those, it's, it's kind of sucky, really. So you kind of understand when you see the bigger guys. There was one guy there. I don't know. Uh, I've never heard of him myself. There was a guy called... Andrew Tate, I think he's a bit of a right wing guy and all the rest of it, but he just got shut down overnight for quite and and the, the reckon that it was because of the Ukraine. He was questioning the Ukraine narrative and uh, on his on his podcast, and they just boom shut him down. That was it, gone. Everything YouTube, all at once, boom 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 boom. 
and uh, I've seen some of his stuff since I checked. I got the person that the, the, someone else I follow was commenting on it, and they brought it to light. Uh, they brought to light the, the 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 situation with him. So, and he showed some videos, and this guy's, you know, I kind of like him. You know, he's all right, and he showed you some of his stuff. I thought he's fucking horrible, just a fucking asshole. But um, nonetheless, should he be shut down? No, he shouldn't. In my opinion, he should not. Um, if you don't like what he's got to say, then don't fucking listen to him. It's as simple as that. Oh, sorry, give me a sec. I'm going to step away from the monitor here for a moment to close the curtain. Ah, that's cozier. There we go. That's a bit better. I was just fucking about with my camera. I can't get this camera to work the way I like. I don't think it's, it's, I mean, it's there, it's there enough camera, we Sony thing. I don't think it looks great. I don't think I look great, but I don't think it looks great. Nonetheless, that's first world problems, isn't it? So let's do this. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about ongoing strikes. Uh, Bernie Sanders, for some fucking reason, is in England uh, to support the, the, this, the, the, NWT is it? No, the uh, the, the the transport union, and he's over uh, at a conference meeting Mick Lynch and all that. So that's that's kind of good. I mean, he's he's a high profile guy. But uh, what do you think of this? What do you think of my Beatles mug? Rubber Soul. Oh yeah, that's when they started getting really good. After that, but um, and then I'm wearing my Liverpool top. Liverpool are playing Everton at half twelve, and I'm a Huge Liverpool fan, as you probably know. So, uh, and then, so what's my pl- my plans today? Is I've come out here today to do a quick supercut for you. It's on S- Saturday, the third of September. Going to get this uploaded. Going to load the stuff for the gig with a gig. Oh yes, shit! Should have started with that. With a gig this afternoon uh, in Newcastle. I know you're not going to get. You probably is going to hear this after the fact, but with a gig this afternoon in Newcastle, Eats and Beats Festival, uh, and we're playing at Newcastle County Down, along with a host of other uh, notables, Amy Montgomery, Keila, and Cormac Neeson, the and Holy Gospel Band, and all that stuff. Oh, fucking brilliant! It's all free. You should come. Ah, you're going to hear it after the fact. So not matter, uh, and also we've uh, we just got an announced uh, last night. We're the we call us see we're the, the announced in the blurb. We're the special guests of Alabama Three. Uh, we're playing with them on the twenty eighth of October at Sandinos. Go to our social medias and you'll see the, the link for tickets and all that stuff. Um, the Bonnevilles that is, and we're the we're the. But it's, yeah, special guests. We're, we're fucking, we're opening, we're supporting, you know, but they call it special guests. It's nice. And the reason that I sort of, I remark on that is it's the first time it's ever, I've ever been, I've ever certainly noticed that we are being referenced as a, the special guests, not the support act. Do you know what I mean? And there is a subtle difference between those two, the, 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 those two, um, those two statuses, status, statai. Yeah, subtle, but it's it's a thing, and we actually played with Alabama three before. We played with them at the Red Rooster Festival in England a few years ago. We were on tour, and our booking agent at the time was a guy called Rupert Orton, and um, from Punk Rock Blues, 
in uh, in England, and they were really it's a really class agency. But Rupert didn't fancy us much, so he didn't book us. And um, whenever we left, so so we played um, we played uh, the Red Rooster Festival on Alabama Three with a sort of the 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 headliner of the, the the opening day on the Friday, and we were the the main main support, if you want to call it that. And it was really good. It was a cracking gig, and we played well. We were we were kind of we were on fire at the time, you know, in the middle of a fucking tour. That's you're going to be as good as you get, and uh, yeah, we played that. It was class. But whenever we, we, so we decided then to 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 leave the agency, the booking agency, because we weren't getting booked. We went for you know Chris and I, especially at the time pre COVID, obviously. Um, we were going for. We were going for. We were doing lots of tours a year and lots of gigs, so we were kind of relying on the income. For I was certainly more so than Chris. Chris has a a good career and all outside of the band, but um, his employer is very flexible and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I was really rely. I really relied on the income from the band to provide uh, a, a living, and then the bookers just sort of stopped booking us, and we went for. I went for. A long time, no tears. It wasn't booking us at all, and we were like, "What the fuck?" So we left. So we said, "Listen, obviously, you know, no hard feelings. We don't you know. You don't fancy us, whatever it is. You're booking all the other bands on on the roster, but not us." So we just went, "Okay, well, we're going to leave." So he fell out with us, <laughs> and then he, he, do, he, I don't know if he knows that we know this, but we know that he phoned around all the venues and then you know got them to stop booking, like because they told us. He says, yeah, Rupert has phoned us and told us to stop booking you. And what did you tell him? He said, we told him to fuck off. We'll book whoever we want. There was only a few. There was, and there was a few that did, did that, that, that still don't return our our, our phone calls or, our, or replied to our emails. Really petty, isn't it? So his ego <clears throat> got the better of him. And the, the, the thought of, of us not being on his row or leaving him voluntarily obviously was too much for him to handle that he had to try to further uh, uh, bend our, our careers which you know he wasn't booking us anyway so he couldn't have done any fucking you know there was nothing, he, nothing more he could do so yeah so there we go so that's, a, that's an interesting wee story isn't it yeah I don't know why he wouldn't book us I still do this day I just think he didn't like us which is fair enough you can't like everybody but then you shouldn't have you shouldn't have the band on your roster isn't that right? I think that's a fair statement. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about uh, the ongoing strikes, the Bernie Sanders is in England at the minute, NATO stuff, Ukraine, a little bit about that, uh, Russia, Gazprom shutting down uh, Nord Stream 1, the pipeline, uh, and a little bit about anti modern day anti-colonialism with America. Uh, dropping bombs. America has. Uh, where is the article? I'll just pull it up here so I can have a quick blast at it. Where the fuck is it? Oh, let me just get this down. Oh, yeah. Uh, America dropped at least 26,000 bombs in 2016 under President Barack Obama. It means every day in 2016, the US military blasted combatants or civilians overseas with 72 bombs. That's three bombs every hour, 24 hours a day for a year. So of a wee Reddit thread for you to have a look at. But we're going to start with the Nicola Sturgeon 
thing. So, the ongoing strikes. Let's do this. So, here's an article on the National Scot. And it's about the ongoing strikes that we're all experiencing at the minute. Here in our borough, the ABC Council, Armagh, Bambridge, Craigavon Council, have made a paltry offer to the council staff. And if you live around here, the place is fucking... Just the bin men on strike, you want to say it, absolute fucking shithole. Everything is... Uh, there's piles of rubbish piling up on the street. It's uh, outside the the dump as well at the council, the council municipal dump area, a re- a recycling centre as they call it. Uh, you know, part of the workers. The workers say no, turtles down. That's it. It's all over, baby. You don't get to fucking have a society without the workers, without the drivers to deliver the goods, without the shelf stackers to put the goods on the shelves, without the checkout people, without the bin men to collect the rubbish. It always annoys me whenever I see a worker, they don't understand the power that they have. And we don't get to express that power on our own. We have to do it in solidarity with others. Because on your own, it's nothing. You're one. But with others in a union, we are many. And just one in one section of our society decides, that's it, fucking tools down. Everything goes to shit. Can you imagine if the, 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 the home helps, let's say, for example, the home helps, the people that go and look after your grandmother when you can't or your mother or your father or whatever they call around twice a week or once twice a day whatever it is that they do to help out can you imagine these people that are paid minimum fucking wage doing a job that none of us want to do that doesn't make any sense does it think about that nobody wants to do this job so we pay these people as little as we can should be the other way about they should be getting paid the most because they're doing what we don't want to can you imagine what would happen if they went on strike <clears throat> you would have to go to you would have to quit work to go and look after your elderly relative. So so that's whatever it is you do doesn't get done. That's can you dig it? This is what it's but anyway. So and it, it always annoys me. It, it really does annoy me whenever I hear workers. I've had a few conversations with people. And uh yeah, so about this and they always go, but what can I do? Right. Join a union first of all, and then and then agitate for more pay and a strike, threaten to strike. So here we go. So the article on the screen is uh, the national from the National Scot, and it's uh, title now do your job. Nicola Sturgeon pans the Tories as the Scottish strike action is called off. Right? What does that mean, Andrew? Well, let's get into it. There she is. <clears throat> Late on Friday afternoon, all three of the trade unions planning a wave of industrial action, Unison Unite and the GMB, said that the new pay offer would be recommended to their members. The planned strike action across waste and education services have been suspended while members vote on the new pay offer. The agreement came after Sturgeon hosted lengthy negotiations between local authorities' body, COSLA, and unions at St Andrew's House on Thursday night. 
the local authority leaders agreed the final terms of the New Deal on Friday. Writing on Twitter, the First Minister said, My thanks to Cosla Unison Scotland, Unite Scotland, GMB Scott.org for positive discussions yesterday. I am pleased that an agreement was reached that delivers a fair pay offer for workers and the suspension of strikes pending ballots, which I hope will result in acceptance of the offer. Well, even if it doesn't, they're at least close. This is the problem. This is the difference. At least the union, see, the, the way it works is the negotiation between the, the employer, which in this case is the government, and the workers, are, are the unions, they come to an agreement. The unions say, okay, that sounds, that's fair. That's, fair, that's close to what we're, we're after. Maybe not exactly, but it's close. The unions then go to the workers. The workers are presented with the details of the negotiation. They make a vote. And they decide whether to go back to work or not. That's just how it works, right? So, uh, at least, but you'll see it in the case, like for in my local council, the union aren't even going to the workers with with the offer. It's not worth their while. It's a waste of time because the, the offer is so paltry and, and in many instances it's actually insulting so that's the same why uh, Mick Lynch and uh, the Eddie Dempsey uh, the, the RMT sorry their union isn't going to the workers with the with the offers that the government are making or that the employers are making with a little video on that I'll show you that in a minute so at least my point is at least if uh, if the unions don't, if the workers don't accept, if they don't accept the offer, they're at least in the ballpark, and you know they're in the ballpark just by the fact that the union are going to the workers to ask them whether they they want to accept what's being offered. So I am pleased that uh, she continues. I am pleased in an agreement. Uh, yeah. So the Scottish government will continue to do all we can to support workers and the country through the as a whole, through the cost of living crisis. It is time for the UK government to do its job too, freeze energy bills, give more support to those struggling and provide more funding for public services, she added. However, speaking to LBC, Sturgeon warned that there was no unallocated pot of money so and so funds would have to be taken from elsewhere in the Scottish government's fixed budget. We try our best within a fixed, finite budget that is not rising with the rate of inflation. As we try our best to help people who need it the most, we are going to have to take really tough decisions, she said. So, uh, <clears throat> the Scottish government get, uh, they don't have tax revenue, tax raising powers to, to, to create revenue. They get a, a, a fixed fund from central government I think it's called the Barnet formula isn't it so they get a certain amount of money and that's what they have to operate with and if inflation rises they, there's nothing they can do they can't They can't uh, go okay we're going to do a, 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 a wealth tax or we're going to do a, we're going to do a, um, what's the when they make massive what's that called when they make massive profits and you tax that they can't do that It'll come to me in about 10 minutes after I end this fucking podcast, what that is. So, uh, 
uh, Sturgeon added that John Swinney, the Deputy First Minister, also temporarily serving as the Finance Secretary, would lay out the government's plan to Parliament in the coming weeks. Holyrood is currently in recess, but MSPs will return to the Chamber on the 5th of September. Commenting on the averted strike action, Joanna Baxter... Johanna Baxter, Unison's head of local government, said this offer is a victory for Unison members. It has taken eight months and the industrial might of Unison members in schools and early years and waste and recycling workers to drag £600 million out of the Scottish government and COSLA into the pockets of hard-working people. COSLA originally offered 2%, then 3.5%, then 5 We now have £600 million on the table, which is a 7.5% increase to the total pay bill, and 80% of our council workers will receive fully consolidated increases between 5 to 10%, which is still below the, the, the projected rate of inflation. You know, she added, it is only through the collective action of our members in school and early year staff threatening strike action and our waste and recycling workers taking action that we have forced these extra funds out of the government and the employer. So there we go. Fair play to them. So, <clears throat> ah, bollocks, did a, did a... So you have to look ahead and you have to be uh, aware of the false economy. So, Boris Johnson, so that's, so for, for, for play, first of all, fair play to the Scottish government for at least attempting to, and, and, and they've done it also acknowledging, whilst acknowledging that the funds are going to have to come somewhere. They can't, they don't have the ability to raise revenue through any other means, through any means. They have a, they have a, an allocated fund from central government, and that's it. So the money's going to have to come somewhere else. Uh, if they can do it, central government can do it. But they're not doing it, and they're not going to do it. Why? Because they don't fucking want to. They're agents of chaos. They're enemies of the people. They're traitors. I think we should bring stocks back for these fuckers. I really, and I'm not, by the way, I'm actually not joking. I'm not generally in favour of corporal punishment, but sometimes a slap on the back is uh, is what people listen to. And this whole thing, I don't know if you, there's, there's this whole thing where we have, the it's like the politics of politeness, where... And and these ghouls use that against us, the working people, to get what they want. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and it's this politics of politeness where we don't we don't call out people out for what they are in the south. And again, I haven't had a, a lot of time this week. Seriously, I've literally thrown this podcast together, sort of fairly slapdash. But this week in Ireland, uh, a councillor. Uh, uh, a member of the government uh, called uh, Troy, yeah, Robert Troy, I think, um, in, in, in the South. He's had to resign from his position uh, as the Minister for Corporate... Uh, oh, I can't remember what his actual job title is. But basically, he's been guilty of landlordism. He, he's a he's a fucking part time minister and a full time landlord, which in Ireland, with its own with its history, is unbelievable that that is a fucking thing that we have landlords to this day as powerful as this. And uh, he's had to resign because he had loads of stuff that he wasn't registering and he wasn't registering things right and 
avoiding health and safety certificates and fire certificates and sort of using, you know, backdoor fucking arguments but which weren't legal. And he eventually had to resign. And the interesting thing was the, the independent media outlet that... Uh, that exposed this. All the mainstream ones didn't. They didn't expose the Irish Times and the Independent and all these. They didn't do anything about this. What did they do when this little small independent uh, media uh, organisation again, whose name escapes me, but I, w- I will, I will, I will, I will give them a bit of attention this week when I do another podcast because I really want to look into them a bit more. What did they do? All the big guys, they all attacked them. They attacked the small independent media for having the audacity to expose this landlord. And then my daughter Summer, she sent me, I'll show you it actually. Oh, my kids are great. They're fucking, they're turning into right wee communists. It's fantastic. Let me see if I can show you it on my screen. She says, uh, she sends me these wee things. Every now and again. Oh, where is it? Where is it? I'll put it up on the screen, but I'll read it out too. I'll read it out too. Where where did you put it? Oh, is that it? No. Mmm. Can't find it. No. She definitely sent it to me. What did she send it to me on? Oh. Must have been Instagram. See, that's the problem now, isn't it? You've got so many ways of communicating that whenever you want to put your hand on something, you can't fucking find it. No, it wasn't. It. Oh, there it is. Aha. Hopefully you can see this. I'm going to show you. Oh, for God's sake. So we'll throw it up on the screen now. Landlord and landlady are needlessly gendered words. Please be more inclusive by using land bastard instead. <laughs> Isn't that fucking class? That's brilliant. Love that. Land bastard. Now, see, this is the thing. We need to be careful too what we're talking about. Somebody that bought an extra house, some work, some worker that did, did, did well, did well enough for themselves that they were able to do that 20 years ago, went and bought themselves now. That We're not talking about that guy. One accident, because it became even back then. I was aware of it. It became quite apparent that the only way that you were going to be able to be safe and secure in your dotage was by buying property. You know that was the thing. Um, I personally don't have an issue with that under the current system. If we had a different system, yes, it's it's an issue uh, where we have plenty of social housing and all that. Well then. The, the, that landlord uh, industrial complex doesn't exist, so it, it's not a problem. Um, you know, you're going to have to go and find somewhere else to invest your your extra um, income, your extra wealth. But under the current, I get it. I don't, it's not a, it's not a judgment on someone that owns an extra house and is renting it out. So long as you're being a fucking decent spot about it, like. It's against these other people. They, they, they own 20, 30, 40 properties and they just, they're, they're just maximising. They do that thing that you do under capitalism, under privatisation, where you maximise the, 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 what you charge for the, for the thing while it's doing no maintenance workers, a little amount of maintenance repair and, uh, uh, as, as possible. So 
I have no I have no issues with that. I know a lot of people do. You know, the strict tenets of Marxism and communism and socialism, we sh- these things are an issue at all levels. So I get it. I, get, I do get it. But, uh, you know, whatever. We'll get there. So, little video for you. Just got just all connected to do with the uh, cost of living crisis. Boris Johnson's final. This is this is his final speech. He's on his way out. So the, we get a new fucking dear leader this week, right? So it's going to be Liz fucking trust for our sins. And uh, this is him saying cheerio to the world. Oh, no, it's not. That's not it. There it is. To step up. So you have to look ahead. And you have to be aware of the false economy. If you have an old kettle that takes ages to boil, it may cost you £20 to replace it. But if you get a new one, you'll save £10 a year for every year on your, £10 a year every year on your electricity bill. And I I remember... So if you've got no money to buy, to pay a £7,000 electricity bill, what you should do is take your no money and go and buy a kettle for £20 to save £10 a year. So after three years, that will start to work for you. It's unfucking believable. That's what they're saying. And it's the same with free. Uh, they're telling people now to go buy. Uh, this is their solution to the cost of living crisis. Not nationalisation. Not to nationalise a company. One of these companies, which will bring all the rest of them in the line, which is the only solution. I nationalise them all as far as I'm concerned, but at least start with one. Bring BT back, British Gas back, BP back, bring it all back. <clears throat> Unfucking believable. Let's listen to this fucking foaming cunt of a man, a pound of lard rolled in Labrador here. Let's hear what he has to say. When the government finally did the deal on Hinkley. Uh, Hinkley seat. In fact, I think I was already sitting in the cabinet. And I remember some people protesting then about the about the strike price that we did, £92.50 uh, per megawatt hour, uh, per kilowatt hour, uh, was very, very expensive. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't look very expensive today. That's why we need to pull our national finger out and get on with Sizewell C. That's why we're putting £700 million into There's the deal. Wrong. To a point, nuclear power is a solution to an energy crisis. It really is. You know, so here, pros and cons, nuclear power, right? Uh, pros, clean uh, energy in so much as it, it doesn't contribute to CO2 emissions. Okay? So all the, all the downsides of uh, coal, oil, natural gas, nuclear energy doesn't have those on the downside. <laughs> If it goes wrong, we all die. So it's considerable. So what we you weigh up the pros and cons. You say, well, okay, well, under the current system of fossil fuels, we're contributing to global warming and climate change to such an extent that we're all going to fucking die, as well. So there's a bit of a thing. So what do you do when you balance it? I'm currently myself at the minute. I'm thinking nuclear power is the way to go. Obviously, there's an issue with the with the disposal of the waste, the nuclear rods. You know the 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 there's a there's a problem there. There's also a problem that, as we see with Fukushima and um, 
uh, other nuclear power plants whenever they go when they go when they go wrong. But uh, but Fukushima should never have been built where it was. So apparently that was the problem there. It was built too low and too close to the sea. Or maybe not too close to sea. Maybe too low. Yeah, I think that was it. I don't know what difference that makes, but there you go. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a way around this. France has announced this week that it's re-commissioning uh, all the nuclear power plants that has closed down over the, 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 the past few decades. They're all being turned back on again. So before, and I hope, thank, pray to God, that they do it safely. We don't want to be doing anything in haste. So I'm assuming that they're going to, they know how to do this, obviously, do it correctly and do it safely. So that's so nuclear energy is 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 an answer. Is it the answer? I don't know. I really don't. I'm just I'm just I'm sort of spitballing here. This is a hot take. I think maybe it's the way to go. It might be the way to go. So again, and then one of the other questions that springs to mind to me is these people aren't you know these people aren't interested in 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 fighting real solutions to, to our real world problems. They don't care. All they're interested in is money. Extracting money from the our money or from our taxes and putting it into their hands and the hands of their mates. So but you know let's hear let's hear what this fucker has to say. Part of the one point seven billion pounds of government funding available for developing a large scale nuclear project the final investment stage FID in this parliament. And in the course of the next few weeks, I am absolutely confident that it will get over the line. And we will get it over the line because it will be absolute madness mm. not to. This project will create tens of thousands of jobs, but it will also power six million homes. That is roughly a fifth, See, six million. This is, this is what they do. They did. I'm kind of reminded about this whole Brexit thing as well. You know all those Brexit arguments? They come up with these these numbers and these things and these, this is a solution to that and that could be a solution to... And you go, oh, that sounds fucking, that fucking great. That's, and that's what, isn't that what happened? People went, oh, that sounds fucking brilliant. Let's vote for that. And then on the other side of it, there's no accountability. There's no one saying, well, you said that this was going to happen. How do we... This, so you're automatically, because it's coming out of his fucking mouth... You just straight away say, oh, this must be bullshit. I don't know. There we go. It's roughly a fifth of all the homes in the UK. So it will help to fix the energy needs, not just of this generation. They're not interested in fixing the energy needs. They don't care. The price, the, pr the problem that we have, the problem that you and I have today is that the energy prices are being leveraged so much that we're not going to be able to fucking hate our homes in the oncoming winter. They're not providing... They're talking about 10 years from now. Now, you have to do both. Plant... Yeah, okay, let's build a nuclear... Let's let's do these new power plants. If that's what we're going to do, let's do that. That's great. That's us taking care of the future. What about today? They, there's no... That's not what they do. And they dangle this thing... Like like a, a carrot on a stick. Oh, right. oh well, we're going to be okay in ten years. Tomorrow we're fucked. Ten years from now we're going to be great, but we won't be great. We'll be something else. The next a baby born this year will be getting energy from Sizewell C long long after she retires. 
and uh, there we go so yeah I don't know they're f people are fucking mental so there we go. There is a solution. There are solutions to be found. There are solutions to all of this stuff. And just on the energy thing, um, let me get this article here for you. Yeah, so... Russia... So we know that uh, we have two pipelines from Russia. Uh, let me just um, sorry let me just get this teed up yeah so we've got two pipelines that come from Russia <clears throat> to Europe now not to the UK UK doesn't get any gas from Russia but between 20 as I keep talking about in in that's we Last week's podcast that I didn't upload, um, it's I talk about it in there as well. Depend the parts of Europe, be the in industry or domestic, you get between twenty to forty percent of your natural gas from Russia, and then at the behest of the U.S. in this phony proxy war with with between Ukraine and Russia, that uh, NATO is prepared to fight to the la to the, the 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 last drop of the last Ukrainian is blood. Uh, we in the European Union decided to impose sanctions on Russia, which have horrendously backfired. Um, we're now looking at uh, uh, Germany especially, which is heavily reliant on these things, and which had spent five years, I think it was, building another pipeline, Nord Stream 2, which was literally about to be, about to be commissioned when all this shit kicked off. It's almost like it was by design. I would say if you were a suspicious person, you would have said that this is all by design. And the thing that fucks me off is the lack of leadership shown by the European Union is absolutely staggering. And I mean staggering. Uh, that we allowed... Your, the, the leaders of the European Union allowed themselves to be manipulated and to become... to be such... Willing dupes and pawns in this um, global politic game that the, that the American Empire is playing. It, I, I, I genuinely can't believe it. Now, as I, as I keep saying, if you want to, if if you want to not buy Russian gas, Russian products, that's absolutely have at it. It's your that's your choice. But you can't turn around and cut off twenty to forty percent of your gas supply without having a ready replacement. You know, that's your industry that's being shut down. And then we're talking about our domestic prices here in the United Kingdom, which is mostly price gouging by these companies. Again, stocks, that's where they would go for it. That's why we should bring these back. A wee threat of being put in stocks uh, for a day or two. Would, would maybe put some manners into a few people, as we say here in Ireland. So, uh, here's this article. This is from Sky. Russia's Gazprom says gas flows to Europe will stay shut after the G7 agreed a price cap to choke Putin's war machine. Now, let's just... We're going to break this down. This is fucking... 
propaganda. This is a propaganda article. This is from CIS Central. Chancellor Nadim Zahawi said the price cap as the UK would curtail Putin's effort to fund his war while it's bringing down spiraling global energy costs. Russia's get, look, look, there's a little note, it's not an, on my thing here, but there's a little article there, or there's a little um, link, I should say, to why you can trust Sky News. Now, if you have to put that in your articles, I would say there's an issue there, you know. Uh, Russia's Gazprom has said natural gas supplies to Europe via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline will remain shut off. Now, we'll get into why that's been shut off. It comes after G7 finance ministers agreed to impose a price cap on Russian oil exports in an effort to limit funding for Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Now, this is, a, this is the thing. So, the European Union put sanctions on Russia. Part of those sanctions were, we're not going to buy your oil and your gas, right? So Russia went, okay. What happened? The queue of other countries that said, we'll fucking take it. Russia has no problem selling what they have. They're not. There's no. There's no issues in Russia, right? Uh, there's an inflationary. There's there's inflation in Russia now. From what I understand, is it's it's somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent, depending. But it's all on imported goods. So things like luxury American goods and you know Apple phones and IMAX and things like that. But fuel, cheap, food, cheap, all the things, you've, all fine, right? The, the BRICS economy, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, has now got other nations uh, uh, queuing up to join it. So it's going to be BRICS plus. Nicaragua, lots of South American countries, lots of African countries are all... Uh, queuing up to join this this organisation this is a part of the breakdown of the American hegemony the American empire we're going into I told you this a few months ago you're going to start hearing this word this word multipolar rather than which is what we've had up until now which is unipolar using the American uh, dominance with the petrodollar that it creates and, it all, and also it's uh, it's it's unwillingness to be a fair uh, Partner, it's 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 we're we're now we've now created the the circumstances for a multipolar world. So you're going to get people who you're going to partner with. You're going to partner with the US, the UK, right? The the traditional what we in inverted commas call the West, or you're going to look to partner up with these other the BRICS, or for example, which is the big one, the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative. What is the Chinese Belt and Road Initiative? China invests in your country. They come in and they, they'll say, we're going to build a, you build you an airport, or build you a, a, an internet infrastructure. We're going to do it. And then and in return, we're going to go and look for minerals in that mountain over there. Is that all right? And say, yeah, no problem. But what the difference is with China, China doesn't interfere with your internal politics. So if you've got a particular cultural way of being that you and I may not like by the way they may treat our homosexual brothers and sisters poorly they may treat our trans brothers and sisters poorly they may treat women poorly they may treat people of a certain religion poorly by our standards they may not it also may be we also know uh, 
but, but anyway, so but China won't get involved with that. So that's not our business. That's your business. Whereas we in the West, again in air quotes, will use that as a excuse to invade your country. We're gonna we're we're so upset about the way that their people are treating Muslims, these particular sect of Muslims, we're gonna go and start some sort of a war, a proxy war, or fund a coup. As if we in the West give a shit about our Muslim brothers and sisters. We know it's just an excuse. We know these things are just cover for war and theft. Syria, for example, the American army have basically occupied Syria. What part of the occupied? The bit where the wheat is grown and the bit where the oil is found. So that's how we partner with people. In the, I say we, we I'm, I'm being very broad with that we. China doesn't do that. China goes, eh, there you go, you do that's, that's your business, it's nothing to do with us. I think one is better than the other. Now that's not to say that I support any form of uh, uh, repression, cultural, sexual identity or otherwise, I don't. But I've seen in my own lifetime the, the consequences of the West's approach to partnering with other countries and I do not support it. It is, it is it's evil. And I also don't believe that the West gives a shit about anybody. They don't give a shit about their own people, as we know by the, you know, we're about to watch our fucking grandmothers freeze to death this winter and no one's doing anything about it. So I think that they can, they don't care about our, our homosexual brothers and sisters in some other part of the world. And to use that as an excuse is disingenuous and it's, it's evil. Because it detracts or distracts from really what's really going on. Do you know what I mean? So, so that's what. The, so anyway, again, straight off the fucking thing. So, Russia's gas prom has said natural gas supplies to Europe via the Nord Stream One pipeline will remain shut off. It comes after right. So, so they've so I've read that it comes after G Seven finance ministers agreed to impose a price cap on Russian oil exports in an effort to limit funding for Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Now, that's not going to work. The G Seven aren't buying the gas. Other people are. There's no, there's no shortage of customers for this stuff. Uh, Gazprom has said it is not reinstating supplies to Europe because the main gas turbine at Portovaya Compressor Station near St. Petersburg could not operate safely until the leak was repaired. It did not say when supplies would be restarted. Moscow has blamed the sanctions. Now, this, this, so this is the... Moscow has blamed sanctions imposed by the West after Russia invaded Ukraine for, for hampering routine operations and maintenance for Nord Stream 1. However, Brussels has said that this is a pretext and Russia is using gas as an economic weapon to retaliate. Oh my God, can you imagine? So the West imposes sanctions, which is war. That's war. You're committing war. It's an act of war um, on Russia. And then Russia, let's say that Brussels is correct. Let's say that Russia has um, has shut down this gas flow as a weapon of war. So there's, there's a couple of things going on here. There's a piece of equipment that the Russians need to do. It's ongoing maintenance on these things. And it's provided by that company. That I think they're Swedish, I'm not sure. Siemens, C-S-I-E-M-E-N-S, right? So it's provided by them. And they need it to 
it's like a pump, a compressor pump thing, and they need it to keep the gas flowing. Now, because of the sanctions, Russia is saying it, we can't get it because it's not been allowed to come here. Brussels has said, no, there's a, we're, we're, we're okay with sending that particular piece of equipment because it's obviously to their own benefit. Russia is saying, oh, well, it's not, you're not sending it and therefore we're going to shut the thing down. So, here, so there's, there's two contradictory statements here, right? So, it, so it's this first one here. I'll just highlight it on the screen there. You can see it. It comes after the G7 finance ministers agreed to impose a price cap on Russian oil exports, right? And then down here, uh, Gazprom has said it's not reinstating supply. So some, so they're saying we're going to put sanctions on your stuff that you can send to us, but we want you to send this. But Gazprom has said we can't fix this because you're not sending. So if the sanctions are affecting Russia, you would think that they would want. Russia would say, well, okay, we'll get this opened and we continue to send this gas, even with the G7 putting a price cap on their gas. If the sanctions are affecting the Russian economy so bad, they would you'd think they would want that. They would say they would take that that income. Regardless. Mightn't be to their might mightn't be perfectly what they want, but they would take it. If the sanctions are working, you would think they're not working. Russia has says we can. Russia not only are they not working, Russia is only taking payments for its fuels in rubles. So before it was the American dollar, the the U.S. dollar. Now Russia's taking rubles now. So. They're saying, we're going to keep the gas line shut down. Nord Stream 1 is shut down. Nord Stream 2 never got started. The European Union and the G7, we're going to put a price cap on what we're, we're, going, to, we're going to agree, what we're going to pay the Russian, what Russia for its gas. And Russia is saying, you can agree among yourselves what you want to do with regards to paying us. It doesn't matter. We tell you what to pay. And we tell you what to pay in. And by the way, this is all fucking... This, this, is, the, this is just politics being played out. These countries are buying Russian gas and they're paying in rubles for it. Through the back door, but they're doing it. It's performance, it's a performance, it's performative. So, back to the article. Uh, Germany's network regulator said the country was better prepared for a stop of Russian gas supplies, but urged citizens and companies to cut consumption. German, that is a lie. Germany is not prepared for that. Germany is fucked. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll pull up some information about that in another, in another date, but... From what I understand, it's pretty fucking serious uh, what's going on in Germany at the minute. In the view of the Russian decision, because they were the the biggest European, uh, that's what the, the Nord Stream Two pipeline was for Germany. So, in view of the Russian decision to not to allow any gas to flow via Nord Stream One for the time being, the LNG terminals, the relevant storage levels, and significant saving requirements are becoming more important. So, if it's all going so fucking well, why do we? 
Why is there an importance being placed on? You've cut off 20 to 40% of your natural gas supply. Significant savings need to be made. You, 5%, maybe you could manage that. How do you do 30, 20, 30, 40%? You can't. It's impossible. Klaus Müller, president of the Bundesnetz Agentur, do not know what that is, tweeted, it's good that Germany's now better prepared, but it's now down to each and everyone. This is wartime. Uh, all in it together, sort of approach. The G7 decision was made at the virtual meeting of the group made up of seven of the world's richest countries. UK, US, Canada, Italy, France, Germany, Japan. On Friday, confirming the news, Chancellor Nadim Zahawi said, we will contain we will curtail Putin's capacity to fund his war from oil exports by banning services such as insurance and the provision of finance to carry carrying Russian oil above an agreed price cap. The price cap has not yet been decided. This is pathetic. A statement from the G7 finance minister said it would be set by the full coalition before it's implemented in each country. Despite selling less oil since the invasion of Ukraine in February, Russia made more it's 600 million pounds more from oil sales in June than it did the previous month because of rocket and prices pushed up by the war. As well as limiting, well then, and then the, the, the rampant profiteering as well that's going on. I know that's the difference between retail and um, wholesale prices, but nonetheless, as well as limiting. Russia's revenues, it is hoped the price cap can bring down rising energy prices around the world. It won't. Uh, speaking after the announcement, Mr. Zahawi said the move will protect our citizens from oil price shocks next year. No, it won't. That's a significant step forward, he added. No, it isn't. It will mean that Putin can't profiteer from excessively high oil prices and, of course, protect us all from an oil price shocks next year and beyond. It is not Vladimir Putin that is setting the price of oil, of the international oil markets. I'll give, you, well, I'll give you an example. So, India went to uh, Moscow and they said, we will take your oil. They're being pressured to commit to the sanctions regime that's being placed on, on, on Moscow and Russia. India goes to them and says, we'll take your oil. She goes, 100%, you can have as much as you want. I said, but... We're going, to, we're going to be sanctioned by other countries, by, by, the, by the US. They're going to put pressure on us through economic warfare. So we want your oil and we want it at a bargain basement price. Russia said, 100%, take it. And they worked them, they worked the deal with them, said, yeah, yeah, you can have it cheap. So, and, and whenever we, again, we must understand, whenever we talk about these words like the West and in the international community, Africa is not buying this, this Ukraine war shit. They're not buying it. South America isn't. Asia isn't. That's the vast majority of the world's population. We're talking about certain countries in Europe, and even then, certain countries in Europe. Italy is a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. Poland is a part of the Belt and Road Initiative. So, right? Who are you going to partner up with? You partner up with the US and the UK who have proven time and time and time again to be untrustworthy or do you team up with China? Do you partner up with China who are just going to give you the, the, the financial uh, uh, 
the finances that you need to improve your infrastructure to build the project, they're going to take a, and they, they call it a win-win. That's the way China works it. It's a win-win. It's a win for you. It's a win for us. Everyone gets something out of it, out of the relationship. If you need to renegotiate, China can do that as well. They're prepared to do that. I have a great story from Yanis uh, Varoufakis when he was the head of the finance minister for the, the newly elected Syriza government in Greece back in whatever year that was. Before he, he before they caved, but he tells this story about how he had to renegotiate the the port contract because it was owned by by Beijing, by the Chinese financiers, and he brought them in and said, "We need to renegotiate this. This is this too unfair. It's too it's too it's unbalanced. It's too, too too much in your favor." And the Chinese said, "Okay," and then they accept. Uh, Varoufakis goes forward with 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 ideas of how they're going to renegotiate, and the Chinese accepted every proposal that he made. And he, his his conclusion was: you try that with U.S. financiers or British financiers or French financiers, you're not getting one thing. You're going to spend years in court to try and get one thing changed. Chinese don't do that. They don't have that approach. They go. They're they're like a more long term. I mean, because we live in a a rapacious capitalist system where only the immediate profit in the next few months that's that's the horizon that they're looking at just just that bit there that you can just a few months down the line the next stock uh, projections the Chinese don't they look a hundred years in the future they're thinking about building relationships long term but anyway back to the article uh, the G7 decisions comes after Mr. Zahawi met with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in Washington on Wednesday for talks on how to tackle the spiralling cost of living crisis. Sky News understands that in the meeting, that the meeting was important to getting the two countries in lockstep, lockstep over the price cap. Mr. Z- Zahawi said G7 ministers would be discussing strategies to implement the cap in December and put it in place in February. By then, we will all be fucking dead. Energy bills will soar for millions of UK households before then, after Ofgem hiked its October price cap by 80%, plunging many into financial hardship, and that is putting it mildly. G7 and EU nations have already vowed to reduce or cut imports of Russian oil and gas. The price cap announced by the G7 finance ministers today is an attempt to further choke Moscow's fossil fuel revenue by targeting the service companies that provide the logistical administration architecture of the... Yeah, so... Yeah, it goes on. Mm Mm-hmm. 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 So, and while Western customer, here we go, la, while Western cost, so, yeah, so here we go. Even as oil, Russian oil exports, volumes have fallen, higher global prices triggered by the war means revenues are rising. Research by the Center for Energy and Clean Air suggests revenue rose in July as exports fell by 6%. Not a huge amount of a fall there, 6%. It's not a lot. I mean, somebody's buying this stuff. And here we get to it. And while Western customers are turning their backs, India and China are picking up the slack with Beijing, relying on Moscow for almost 25% of oil imports. Yeah. 
And while European customers are hitting, hit with higher bills in turn, perhaps weakening support for Ukraine, Moscow is cashing in. I love how everything is dumped on Moscow. It's this, this pantomime villain. They're, 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 they're to blame for absolutely everything. They can't be. These things aren't, you know, don't get me wrong. They're cashing in. Of course they're cashing in. They're making, a, they're making good money for, for doing less. It's not their fault. They didn't put the fucking sanctions on us or, or on themselves. We did that. They were forced to look elsewhere and the elsewhere was more than willing to take what, what, what Russia has to offer. And this whole Ukraine-Russia narrative thing may be a part of the story, but it's not the whole story. And not the entire world has fallen for it either. Um, the, recently, the European, the, the African Union had a, a conference call with with President Zelensky of Ukraine. No one went. There was two. There was two presidents turned. There was two representatives from two countries that aren't even full member. They're sort of like subsidiary territories, and they turned up because they're a part of the. the they're funded by the U.S. hegemon. So they were sort of required to turn up. Nobody else turned up. Uh, there's, again, multipolar. We're going back to... There's a multipolar world being built right now. And this is all a part of it. This is all going to be a part... This I, I think Ground Zero was going to be that. So the Ukraine invasion... Or, or invasion by Russia is going to be that. So a part of that was... Uh, we were told... Ukraine, Russia, uh, we know about the, the, the NATO expansion ever eastward towards Russia. We know that when the Soviet Union fell, a part of the agreement was that uh, NATO wouldn't move towards Russia, but it's done just the opposite of that. Ukraine is one of the last countries. We know that Russia has always said that Ukraine... NATO expansionism into Ukraine was the line in the sand that they couldn't take. R reasons they've been invaded through Ukraine three times in the past hundred and something years. Napoleon, uh, the Kaiser in World War One, and the Nazis in World War Two. So they can't have it. That's their fucking red line, and they said it, and everybody knew that. Even people like, um, uh. Oh, Jesus. Henry Kissinger. Even people like Henry Kissinger are wa worn it now. now he, this man, 600 years old, and he's come out of retirement and said, this is this is nuts. We can't do this. We all, And we knew, and we always knew we couldn't do this. We're doing it anyway. So here's a little video about that. So thus far, everyone has denied this almost call it this mythical expansionism of NATO into Ukraine whereas everybody that everybody else knows what that it has been happening now as people smarter than me have put it the Ukraine Ukraine may not have been in NATO but NATO was in Ukraine and here we have now them admitting it check this out to step up support for Ukraine. Uh, as you know, NATO allies provide unprecedented level of military support to Ukraine. Actually, NATO allies and NATO have been there since 2014, trained, equipped. So here's Jess Daltenberg uh, 
he is... I, th- I don't actually know who he is, although I have heard his... I don't know if he's a member of NATO or the European Union by the look of it there, by the flag, but there he just NATO has been in Ukraine preparing and training the, the Ukrainian army since 2014. I would say since before that, but let's get the rest. There's only a short few seconds left. Uh, and supported the Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, but of course, since the invasion in February, allies have stepped up significantly, and we also agreed um, uh, uh, a comprehensive assistance package uh, uh, also on how to help uh, Ukraine uh, to move from Soviet air equipment to more modern NATO standard uh, equipment. So this is, a part, this is a part of the grift that is going on with Ukraine. And again, I always come at this from, I view the world through a working class, a class perspective. The people that are going to pay the price are the working class Ukrainians, the men and women that are going to die unnecessarily and the Russians as well unnecessarily moving from Soviet era weapons to modern you, you, you get trained to NATO standard that means that all your equipment is interchangeable so the French army can work with the Italians can work with the Americans can work with the Aussies or can work with whoever the fuck's in they need. so they're all working to the same standard which makes perfect sense if you're a military alliance, I suppose that makes sense. But training the Ukrainian armed forces to be to NATO standards whilst you're not in NATO. Like this is always what Russia was saying all the time. We can see what you're fucking doing here. So there's two things. You're preparing Ukraine to be in NATO, which is the big no-no for Russia. You can't do no, no, no. We're not having that. You're pre- you're preparing Ukraine to be in NATO, and then by preparing, you're funneling funneling more and more of your tax base, your tax resources to the military industrial complex, the American and European, mostly American corporations that are going to provide the weapons of war. Because you, because if you are a member of NATO, you have to spend two percent, I think it is, of your GDP on uh, military hardware. And also, how to provide more support, also for the longer term, building defense and security uh, institutions uh, in in uh, in Ukraine. The message was that we will provide support uh, for as as long as it takes so to the, step. Up. So there we go. Uh, Stoltenberg said, we've been there from 2014, we've been preparing the Ukrainians. And 2014 is a significant date as well, because well, I, I can't get, uh, it's either 2014, 26, I can't, I mean, you know what, I will just Google it here real quick. Minsk. Let me just check this, the Minsk agreements. Yeah, 2014. So they've been there from 2014. I'll just, you know what? I will just pull this article up and you can read it with me. Uh, Yeah. So this is just from Wikipedia. There it is, the Minsk agreements. 
The Minsk agreements were a series of international agreements which sought to end the war in the Donbass region of Ukraine. First known as the Minsk Protocol was drafted in 2014 by the Trilateral Lateral Group on uh, after uh, so after extensive talks the agreement was signed in September 2014 by representatives of the Trilateral Trilateral Contact Group without recognition of their status by the then leaders of self-proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic this agreement followed multiple previous attempts to stop fighting in the region and aimed to implement an immediate ceasefire. It failed and was thus followed with a revised and updated agreement Minsk II, which was signed on 12th of February 2015. This agreement consisted of a package of measures including ceasefire, withdrawal of heavy weapons. Yeah. So, Russia officially recognised the Luhansk and Donetsk People's Republics on 21st of February 22, so that's this year after the invasion. Uh, Vladimir Putin declared that the Minsk agreements no longer existed and that Ukraine, not Russia, was to blame for their collapse. Russia then invaded Ukraine on 24th. So, and we know that um, as, so, um, Ukraine has been bombing those regions for like eight years or more at a time. 14,000 people have been killed. Uh, not a word of it in the news. Not a word of that. But, you know, and they're Ukrainians. Now, they're of, the, the difference is they're of Russian ethnicity. And they demanded autonomy. And it was agreed in these, in these uh, agreements but never followed up with. So, in 2014, he's saying they're there in 2014, that was the year that the Minsk agreements were signed, they've been training these guys since then, which is a bad faith move in my part, uh, 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 I think, uh, in my reading, I should say. You know, that's no good. Uh, and this was always what... Uh, the Soviet Union, or the Soviet Union, uh, the, the Russian Federation was was warning about. This is what they didn't want. So, there we go. So NATO's, Ukraine may not have been in NATO, but NATO was in Ukraine. So, check this out. Let's do the next little, um, I'll do the, have a little theme here. A little ident. Next bit. Not enough culture on this politics, culture and some other shit podcast, right? Uh, so we're going to do a bit of culture. And this is it. We're done for the day. So I love this. I follow this uh, this guy, mythicalireland.com, which I love. I love, love that. I love the mythology. Love the Ireland mythology place. So Ancient alignment, Stone Age Cairn in Meath points to ancestral tomb 94 kilometres away in Sligo. So, let me get into it with you. Go and check these guys out. They're absolutely brilliant. They're on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and all that. I have been visiting, so this is, who wrote this? It doesn't say his name. Probably says it at the bottom. 
Yeah, I'm not worried about that. Um, I've been visiting the Loch Crew complex of megalithic monuments on the highest hills of County Meath for the past 22 years, and I'm always struck by the incredible views of Ireland offered from Slievenacala, one of the four hills at Loch Crew, and the one that receives the most visitors. For years, I've been wondering about something. Pardon me. I'd long known that Cairn S, a cairn immediately to the northeast of Cairn T, the largest cairn on Slievenacala, had a passage facing towards the northwestern aspect. Its alignment towards sunsets at the time of the Baltian and Lunasa had been documented in the 1980s by Martin Brennan and his team. So those the the, the Baltian and Lunasa, the you know the festivals. So there's a photograph on screen of what we're talking about. Right, that's pretty awesome. However, it is clear that the relatively short passage of Cairn S would probably admit a range of sunset azimuths. And this is borne out by the visual observations which show that the sun is visited from the Y-shaped chamber of Cairn S from before the astronomical date of Lunasa around 7th of August till at least the last day of August. Previous visits by this author at the time of the astronomical Lunasa had demonstrated that the sun was setting north of what might be considered the centre line. Right, anyway, so... We'll be, uh, right, we're getting into it there, getting a wee bit geeky on it, which is fascinating and all, but... Let me see... So, the fact that Karen S points towards Carol Keel complex. They're considered one large related group by archaeologists in Sligo and can be de- easily demonstrated using Google Earth. It's not rocket science as they say. Whether any of the Cairns and Carrowkeel complex were actually visible from Loch Crew did not seem easy to determine. Even 20 years ago I would train my telephoto lens on those distant misty mountains in the northwest that are visible from Slievenacala and take photos. But to be honest, but I'll be honest and admit that I never knew what mountains they were, nor what county they were in. Thankfully, there are websites, smartphone apps that can show what distant peaks are available from a particular eminence these days. So, here we get into it. But when it comes to these matters, I'm like a dog with a bone, knowing that the best time to see really distant hills and mountains when the sun was low in the sky in that direction, I decided to set out for Cairn S at Slievenacala, armed with my binoculars, which are a substantial observational tool. I had the company of a friend and blacksmith, Tom King, for the evening, and we had a great fortune of a beautiful sunset and a clear landscape. After a 10-minute walk from the car park to the summit, I quickly set up the giant binoculars on a tripod at Kerness and began to scan the distant horizon above and beyond Loch Sheelan. On a clear day, Kilkia Mountain, which straddles the border between the counties Cavan and Fermanagh, can easily be seen. Sweeping away to the left from Kilkia, Kilkia, or a range of similar... Oh, he's getting a bit geeky here, so... Using the binoculars, I slowly scanned towards the west of these distant misty hills 
with the wind turbines on them, but these hills dipped down behind closer, and I didn't hold out much hope of seeing the Carrow Keel complex. But a moment later, I caught sight of something. Above this, above some trees on a distant, quite distant hill, a very slender portion of the top of, the, of a faint and distant ridge was visible, like a skim of butter and a slice of bread. Wow, what was this? I looked for a moment and then noticed a blip of sorts towards the right north of this faint distant ridge. And there you can see, he circled it on the screen. So there it is there, right? This blip is in fact the lone cairn on the summit of the mountain of Kish Corn, the westernmost and indeed the tallest of the mountains in the Karukil Kesh Koran Kesh Koran complex of monuments. It lies ninety-four kilometers from Kiranes. And incredibly, one cairn of the Karukil complex is indeed visible from Sleeve Nikala. But barely so, and it's certainly not visible in any practical meaning of the word without either a telephone lens or binoculars. And that got me and Tom talking. Did the builders of Loch Crew know that Kesh Karn Cairn was visible when they built Cairn S? Did they specifically oriented it, orient it back towards the old homeland, the place of their ancestors? The Sligo monuments are older than their Meath counterparts. Were they pointing Kiranes back at the Keel complex where the progenitors had, progenitors had been buried decades and centuries before. How would you determine in the Neolithic if two places of very limited visibility and very far away from each other could be seen with one another to be continued? So the, you can see on the screen there they've all these lines drawn on these Maps. Yeah. So it looks it looks like these things were built up to be visible to each other. Well, one was built to be visible to the other. Isn't that fantastic? I love that shit. It gets a bit wonky, like he does go into dates and you know, or, 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 you know, distances and all that. But um, in an interesting way. So the title "Stony Age Cairn and Meath Points to Ancestral Tomb, ninety four kilometers away in Sligo." Now, there's no other assumptions being made other than that statement. It, you know, it looks like it points at that, and without asking the people to build it, I guess we'll never know. But it is class, isn't it? I think it's class. I hope you do too. So yeah, so there we go. We're done. We're done, we're done, we're done. So yeah, um Thanks everybody. Again, I forgot to fucking say like, share, subscribe, didn't I? Should have done that right from the very beginning. So please like, share, subscribe. Don't forget there's two podcasts. I'm gonna upload the one that I forgot to upload last week. And uh, this one. Um uh, head over to Patreon you can support me in my work I'll be doing a couple of podcasts this week for you a couple of little bits and pieces because I've, um, I've got the time I've been very busy I had my solo gig in the American Bar last week again thanks again to everybody that came down to that that was absolutely fabulous I had such a great time I really enjoyed it and uh, played on stage with um, my daughter on bass and Laura Kerr on fiddle my cousin and it was great. It was fantastic. So we're going to be doing more of those. I have another gig, uh, I have a solo gig coming up 
hasn't been announced officially yet, but I can tell you it'll be in uh, Fealty's Bar in Bangor on the 1st of October, a Saturday evening, a part of uh, their back backroom sessions, I think they call it. So it's going to be me solo, uh, with Stephen McCartney uh, as well. And uh, it's a well-regarded wee sort of folk session, folk club session thing. So I'm delighted to be a part of that. That's going to be great. Yeah, so there we go. All done. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon. Uh, I'll get one of these done real soon, maybe Monday, for you. And we can uh, keep going. Like, share, subscribe. Bye.